Uh, We are continuing our message series, Tough Questions, today. If you've missed the first two messages, uh, the first one was on atheism, the second one was on uh, faith and science and the intersection of those two, you can catch those online. Today, we're asking, why would a good God, a loving God, allow evil, pain, and suffering in the world? Tough questions. So this question usually starts as a theoretical one, uh, but this question takes on a whole different meaning when we are the ones who are suffering. Um, and we're in the midst of our own pain and our own suffering. Um, we might ask, doesn't God care that I'm suffering? Um, why is he allowing these bad things to happen to me? That why question isn't a new one. Um, It goes back thousands of years. Uh, The question of why was asked in the Old Testament um, by Job, by the writers of the Psalms. Uh, In the last century alone, um, it was asked during two world wars, uh, during several other wars, during the Holocaust, during genocides, Uh, famines. It was asked uh, after the attacks of 9-11. And of course, people are still asking this today um, as they lose people they love uh, due to this pandemic, right? Uh, We got a prayer request just this past week uh, from a man who's 42 years old and died due to complications of COVID. uh, And he had 10 children. Why do all these horrific things happen um, if we have a good and loving God? Why do bad things happen to good people? Maybe you've never asked that question, uh, but my guess is that if you haven't, uh, you will if something horrible happens to you or to a loved one. Um, It's a very human response to ask Why in the midst of suffering? Unfortunately, Jesus said uh, that suffering is coming. He was honest about the inevitability of suffering. Um, In John 16, 33, he said, you will have suffering in this world. Um, He didn't say you might. Um, He said it's going to happen. Uh, And if we're honest, we have to admit that it is difficult to reconcile how a good and loving God could allow such pain and suffering in our lives or in the lives of those people we love. Um, A lot of people have walked away from the faith because of the suffering that they've experienced. Um, Unfortunately, well-meaning Christians have sometimes made it worse um, by how they've responded to, uh, to people in pain and suffering. Sometimes we just simply throw out pat answers. Um, they may be theologically correct, but they're certainly not comforting, and they're not being sensitive to the suffering that that person is, is going through. Sometimes, uh, though, our answers aren't even theologically correct. Um, you just need to believe more. You just need to pray more. Uh, You're suffering because you lack faith. 
Um, it was God's plan that you would lose your child. And the list goes on, right? These answers don't bring comfort, and they don't even, uh, they aren't often even true, right? They just make the suffering worse, if we're honest. Um, do, you know, do you know how much damage we can do when we say such things? Um, I know individuals who have left the faith because of a comment made by a well-meaning uh, but insensitive Christian. Um, I'll get to why God allows pain and suffering in a minute, but I want to first talk about what suffering isn't. Um, there's a difference, actually, between pain and suffering. Um, all suffering includes pain, but not all pain is suffering. So even though uh, it's hard to accept, uh, pain is, in most cases, a good thing. Um, if we touch a hot stove, right, our body reacts to the pain uh, and it causes us to immediately pull back our hand. Um, that pain is a defense mechanism and it keeps us from hurting ourselves more. We might not like the pain, but it serves a purpose, right? So suffering, suffering, however, usually begins as pain, but is a whole bigger thing. Um, maybe we have an accident that leads to lifelong chronic pain. Um, or we contract a terrible disease that ravages our body. Um, or maybe it's abuse. Uh, maybe it's not having access to basic human needs like food or water or a coat in the dead of winter. Um, suffering is all around us. Um, and it's not just physical suffering. Um, Non-physical suffering is often silent but just as painful. Um, those who've been abused physically, uh, emotionally, sexually, even spiritually, um, they can carry scars with them their whole lives. Uh, betrayal is another wound. Um, once, you've been, once you've experienced uh, betrayal, um, you're wondering if, if you will ever be whole again. Um, grief is another wound. Um, when we experience the loss of a loved one, uh, it can literally feel like life is ground to a halt. Um, it can feel like life has no more meaning. And the list goes on and on. Suffering is all around us. So this question, why does God allow pain and suffering? Um, sometimes in the midst of our suffering, um, it's a question we don't ask theoretically. Instead, we scream it out at the top of our lungs because we want an answer right now, right? So to find the answer to this question, um, we start by looking at the Bible. Um, what does the Bible say about pain and suffering? Okay, the Bible contains a lot of suffering, um, but surprisingly, it doesn't say a lot about it. Um, at least not to answer the question of why God allows pain and suffering. The Bible focuses more on our response to suffering 
rather than what caused it. So almost every passage uh, on suffering in the scriptures shifts the emphasis from cause to response. Um, we discover in scripture that essentially we, uh, we should respond in two ways. One, uh, we can find meaning in the midst of suffering. Uh, and two, we can offer real and practical help to others who are in suffering. Okay? So, um, so on a personal note, uh, on the Myers-Briggs, if you're familiar with that personality test, um, I am an ENTJ, ENTJ on the Myers-Briggs, okay? So you can look up online what that means, but um, that third letter, T, tells you that my first instinct in responding to a situation is always to think rather than feel, okay? But when someone is in the midst of suffering, um, facts and truth don't bring much comfort. Um, it took me a while to learn that one. Um, instead, listening well and giving the gift of your presence is so much better. Right? Being fully present with them in their suffering and not just giving them pat answers. And that is the gospel, right? Um, Jesus came to earth and he suffered with us in his pursuit of us. Um, he didn't give a lecture on why suffering exists. Um, instead, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Um, his promise is that one day pain and suffering will end, but until then, he is with us. Okay? One day it'll all make sense, but in the meantime, we don't suffer alone. Um, God reminds us that our suffering isn't meaningless, uh, that there is hope. Um, God is redeeming all things for his good and for our benefit. So back to the central question, why does God allow pain and suffering in the world? So that question actually um, has a fundamental flaw. There's a fundamental flaw in that question. Uh, the question puts us at the center of importance and assumes that we know better than God. Now, most of us probably wouldn't say that. Um, but the reality is that our understanding of God, of suffering, and of love are very limited. Um, we are finite beings trying to grasp an infinite God. So C.S. Lewis put it this way. It'll show up on the screen. The problem of reconciling human suffering with the existence of a God who loves is only insoluble so long as we attach a trivial meaning to the word love and look on things as if man were the center of them. Man is not the center. God does not exist for the sake of man. Man does not exist for his own sake. We were made not primarily that we may love God, though we were made for that too, but that God may love us, that we may become objects in which the divine love may rest well pleased. So the first thing we need to see is that God, of course, sees the larger picture and is orchestrating everything for his glory, which is to our benefit. 
Um, we are not the center, God is. There is a larger story that is unfolding um, that you and I can't see. So let me give you an example. Scripture says uh, that there was 400 years between the time of Joseph uh, and the time of Moses that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. Remember this, 400 years. Um, that means there were several generations of people who were born as slaves, they lived as slaves, and they died as slaves. They never saw the promises fulfilled that I'm sure they all heard about. Um, that has always blown my mind. Like, imagine you're one of those people. Like, that's all you've known is slavery. Born into it, lived, in, lived it, and died it. And yet there was this prom these promises that you heard about, but you never saw. Okay? We have to ask ourselves, uh, if we trust that God's plan is good, um, even if in the moment it doesn't seem very good. Okay? That's what faith demands, believing in advance what will only make sense in hindsight. Um, Paul points to this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. He says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. So for now, in this life, uh, we see things imperfectly, but God sees the bigger picture, and one day he will reveal that to us. But until then, we have to have faith and we, trust, we need to trust him. Um, I've come to realize that that ability to trust God, even in the midst of pain and suffering, uh, barring a miracle, uh, isn't something that just happens. Okay? We, we grow in our ability to trust God as we develop a lifestyle of trusting him. Um, first for the little things, and then it gets easier to trust him for the bigger things. So we develop a lifestyle uh, of living with God at the center and tr not trying to put ourselves at the center. Um, it's hard to trust that God's plan is good when we've not lived a life of dependency on him, right? Where we've seen him over and over meeting our needs, we've seen him over and over answering our prayers. Um, and if we've lived a life of putting ourselves at the center, trusting ourselves for everything, um, then of course it's harder to trust God um, when you are standing there in the midst of pain and suffering. Um, until we allow God to be at the center of our lives, um, we will struggle with this question of why suffering even exists. Um, until we understand that there are things that we will not see this side of heaven, um, this question will always cause us to stumble. Um, God sees and God understands things that we do not. We can trust his goodness um, even in the midst of our suffering. So I want to cover five truths um, about why God allows suffering in the world. Okay, number one, 
Truth one, uh, God isn't the creator of suffering. He is not the creator of suffering. In the beginning, God created a world without suffering, right? Uh, in Genesis 1.31, God looks over creation and he declares that it is very good, right? Um, suffering wasn't a part of his original plan. Um, so why is there suffering if God didn't create it? Right? It sounds crazy, but it's because of love. Okay? God designed humans to love. Um, but love requires, a, it requires choice. Um, love cannot be forced. It has to be chosen. Um, so God had to give us the ability to choose. Um, in, order for their, in order to give us a capacity to love, he had to give us free will. He had to give us the option to not love. Right? Of course, we know how that went. Uh, man rebelled against God, and we still do. Um, and those actions brought and continue to bring pain and suffering into our world. But God wasn't surprised. Right? I, think, I think if it was me, if I were in his shoes, I would have just like started over again. Right? But instead, God set out on a path to redeem humanity. Why? Because of love. Um, the cold, hard fact is that we are the creators of suffering. Um, I mean, uh, the devil does his share, but the fact is, suffering is not by God's design, it is by our sin. God allows for suffering, but he didn't create it. Um, the good news the good news is that even though we are totally screwed up, right, God enters into our suffering in pursuit of us. Um, why does God allow suffering? Um, our free will created suffering, and God is restoring us. He is working to build a new creation where eventually there will be no suffering. Um, maybe you ask, uh, well, um, couldn't God have predicted all of this? Um, note how, no doubt he did, which is even more mind-blowing, right? But look at it this way. Um, most of you are parents, okay? Um, even before you had children, um, couldn't you foresee that there was a very real possibility that they might disappoint you or um, have bring pain and heartache into your life? Uh, or they might even hurt you or walk away from you. Um, of course, you knew that was the case, but you still had kids. Why? Because you knew that there was also this tremendous potential for joy and deep love. Right? God knew that we would rebel against him, um, but he also knew that a whole lot of people would choose to follow him, choose to have a relationship with him, and spend an eternity in heaven with him. It was worth all of that, even though it cost his son tremendous pain and suffering as he went to the cross for us, right? It was worth all of that. Second truth. Um, although suffering isn't good, God can use it for good. 
Um, while God didn't create suffering, it, he is in the business of redeeming it. Like he's really good at that. Okay, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is working all things, even the bad things, uh, for our benefit. So notice that the, the verse doesn't say God causes evil and suffering, um, just that he promised to work for the good of those who love him. Okay? It doesn't mean that this will happen immediately. It doesn't even necessarily mean that it will happen uh, according to our timeline. Um, but God makes a solemn pledge to those of us who are his followers that he will work it out for good. Um, now, it's common for people to uh, see this in other people's lives and doubt it in their own life. That's, that's quite common. Uh, we love stories of other people suffering used for good. Right? But when it comes to us, um, we usually doubt that God can use our pain, our suffering, um, our sin for good. Um, we often see ourselves as too broken, too damaged uh, by our suffering to be used for anything good. But I'm telling you, that is what God is really good at. He's good at everything, but he's really good at this. He is the master of turning lemons into lemonade. He is the master of taking what the enemy meant for destruction and turning it into something wonderful. Um, this is the thing, like the thing that I love most about the ministry of the local church. Um, not that we would be some like exclusive country club, right, that's protected from the rest of the world, but that a thief, a liar, an addict, a felon, a prostitute, a drunk, even a self-righteous Pharisee, or anyone in between, can encounter the gospel of grace, be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and start doing the beautiful things that God created them to do. It's right here in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Because of grace, they are saved by faith, and they can now be used by God to do some amazingly beautiful things for his kingdom, right? Things that they never thought would be possible. Um, God took the very worst thing that ever happened in all of human history, right? The suffering and death of his son, Jesus. And he turned it into the very best thing that ever happened in history. If God can take the most horrific example of suffering and pain and evil and turn it into the most amazing thing that could ever happen, don't you think 
that he could take your worst stuff, your deepest, darkest sins and failures and pain and suffering and create something beautiful out of them? Truth three. All suffering is temporary. Um, I'm sure you've heard this question. Um, If God is all good and loving and powerful, why doesn't he just get rid of suffering? It's a common question. She used to argue um, that God is either all good and loving uh, or he's not all powerful, right? Um, So in either case, we can't believe him, we can't trust him. There's a flaw in that question. Um, The assumption is that the story is over. But the truth is, God isn't finished yet. The Bible says that the story is not over. The day will come when there is no more sickness, there is no more pain. When suffering will end, evil will be judged, and justice will prevail. The day is coming, but not yet. So why is God taking so long? Once again, I hate to be redundant, but it is because of love. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God's waiting, he's being patient, and he is continually pursuing those who are far away from him. Suffering exists, unfortunately, because the story isn't over yet. God is still pursuing his people. But one day, suffering will end, and then we will see the whole story. We will see how much God truly loves us. We'll see all the stuff that he was doing behind the scenes, working for our good. And we'll be amazed. Truth four. Suffering will make us bitter or turn us to God. Uh, We've all seen how suffering can cause some people to get bitter and turn away from God. They become angry. They become resentful. Um, While at the same time, we've seen how suffering can cause some people to turn to God. Um, They become more empathetic, more compassionate, more loving. Um, They want to help other people who are suffering, who are in pain. So, for example, no one should ever have to lose a child. Right? And yet it happens. Some people who've lost a child have turned away from God with rage and despair. Um, A lot of these people have taken on any number of addictions to try to cope with that tremendous pain. But many people who've lost a child have turned to God. Um, They've received inner healing, they've received freedom, and in some cases, they've even 
come to the place where like they're now helping other people who are going through something similar. When we suffer, um, we choose to either run away from God or run to God. Suffering tends to have that kind of effect, right? Uh, Rarely does it leave us just like standing where we are. So what happens when we run to God? Jesus says in John 16, 33, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus offers us two things when we are hurting. Uh, Peace to deal with the present and courage to deal with the future. Um, How? Because he has already conquered the world. Because of what he did on the cross through his own suffering and death, right? Evil, pain, and suffering don't have to have the last word anymore. Death doesn't have to have the last word anymore because God has the last word. Through his crucifixion, Jesus Christ entered into our pain and our suffering. He knows, he understands the pain and the suffering we're going through, and he wants to walk with us through it. Which leads me to truth five. Um, Our suffering will pale in comparison to the good things God has in store for us. Romans 8.18 says... Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. So it was the Apostle Paul who wrote those words. Um, If you remember Paul, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was thrown in prison, he was hungry, he was thirsty, he was homeless. Um, He experienced far more pain and suffering than most of us will ever have to experience. And yet he says, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Some of you may be familiar with the name Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, In 1967, just before she was about to turn 18, she dove uh, into the Chesapeake Bay. Um, She misjudged the depth of the water, uh, and she became a quadriplegic. Um, She would live her entire adult life in a wheelchair. She was paralyzed from the shoulders down. So Johnny went through two uh, years of rehabilitation, and according to her autobiography, um, she experienced all kinds of anger and depression and suicidal thoughts and even doubt of her faith. Um, During this time, she learned to paint with a brush uh, between her teeth, and she started selling the artwork. Um, She also started writing books this way. Uh, Now she uses voice recognition software. She has written, um, over the course of her life, 48 books. Um, She has recorded several musical albums. Um, She even started an autobiographical movie. 
um, of her life. She's an advocate, of course, for people with disabilities. God has used her powerfully to influence all kinds of people for the kingdom, right? Johnny's life is a powerful testimony to how God transforms our suffering, right? He enters into our suffering and he uses our suffering to mature us into who he created us to be. And ultimately, he uses our suffering to glorify himself. Um, One time Johnny was talking about having her wheelchair in heaven. Um, Here's what she said. I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. Now I know that's not theologically correct, but I hope to bring it and put it in a little corner of heaven. And then in my new, perfect, glorified body, standing on grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior, holding his nail-pierced hands. I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And he will know that I mean it because he knows me. He'll recognize me from the fellowship we're now sharing in his sufferings. And I will say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. God's ultimate answer to suffering isn't an explanation. It's the incarnation. God isn't some distant, detached, disinterested deity. He entered into our world and he personally experienced our pain. Um, Jesus there is in the, he is there in the lowest places in our life. Um, are you broken? He was broken like bread for us. Um, are you despised? He was despised and rejected of men. You cry out and you just can't take it anymore? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Did someone betray you? Jesus was betrayed. Were you rejected by someone you loved deeply? He was loved and rejected. Have people turned from you? People hid their faces from Jesus as if he was a leper. And when you feel like you're in the pit of hell, is he with you? Yes, he is. Corey Ten Boom was imprisoned in a Nazi death camp. She wrote these words. No matter how deep our darkness, he is deeper still. Every tear we shed becomes his tear. God does more than just sympathize with us, right? Any friend can do that. A friend can sit beside us. They can listen to us. They can comfort us. But Jesus is closer than your closest friend. Um, If you have put your trust in him, he is inside of you, right? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ is inside of you. 
So your sufferings are his sufferings. Your sorrow is his sorrow. Why God allows pain and suffering uh, will continue to be one of those tough questions that people will be asking, at least until Jesus comes back. Um, even with all the answers I've given, even with all the answers others have given, um, some people will still say um, that these are unacceptable answers um, as to why a good God would allow pain and suffering in the world. And they'll still say that they can't believe in a God who would allow pain and suffering to exist. If that's you, I would encourage you Believers throughout history, um, including many in the Bible, have asked similar tough questions of God. Right? They wrestled with the answers or the fact that they didn't get the answers that they wanted. And yet, they still chose to believe in God. Wrestling with tough questions doesn't automatically like, make a person an unbeliever or a non-Christian, right? Sometimes... We ask questions when we're sad, when we're in despair, when we're feeling depressed. That is not unbiblical. When we ask questions like that, we're actually following in the footsteps of people in the Bible, like David or Job. Both of them were not afraid to ask the tough questions they had with full authenticity. Transparency. Both of them weren't afraid to be real. God wants us to ask him our tough questions. It's in this process that we grow in our faith and our trust and our love for God. So I want to to close with one more quote uh, from Johnny Erickson Tata. He has chosen not to heal me but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer his embrace. The greatest good suffering can do for me is to increase my capacity for God. Real satisfaction comes not in understanding God's motives, but in understanding his character, in trusting in his promises, and in leaning on him and resting in him as the sovereign who knows what he's doing and does all things well. Let's pray. Lord, we, we truly don't understand suffering. We don't understand why there are diseases and murderers and traffickers and wars and people we love dying well before we think they should. But God, we trust you. We've seen enough evidence to know that you are a good God, a trustworthy God. And you're working behind the scenes to consummate your kingdom where there'll be no more pain or suffering. We know, God, we live in between the times when the kingdom's here, but will not fully be here until you come back again. Lord, we know that it's only because of your love for those who don't know you that you're waiting to return. Lord, I pray for both the salvation of those who have yet to come to Christ and for your quick return. 
Lord, help us as a congregation get better at reaching and showing love to those people I mentioned, the lost, the last, and the least. Truly, I pray that Life Church would be a community of grace. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.